0: In the year 2017, listeners on Earth discovered a husband and wife podcast team who loved playing Mass Effect and were incredibly sappy. They called it the greatest podcast in human history. The listeners of the galaxy call it Mass Affection.
1: Well, I had to graduate with a master's degree and then fly to Colorado to hang out with our family for a while.
0: Yeah, I did that thing too. Well, I didn't graduate, but I flew with you.
1: Kind of felt like you graduated though, didn't it? Yeah, I really did. (laughs) Pro tip people out there, it's actually harder on the person not getting the degree than the person getting a degree when you have a long, long Long master's degree, like I did. Jamie has been a total boss and a trooper all these years, but
0: now I'm done. Thanks. I'm not as total of a boss as as Shepherd, though. So let's we'll talk about <laughs> Shepard. She's first, she's bossier than I am.
1: It, uh, hmm, not sure about that. You <laughs> hey. are the mom of two small children. <laughs> hey,
0: hey. Let's move on.
1: Before we talk about Shepherd and her grandstanding heroics to save the universe at the end of Mass Effect, where could people go if they want to hear more episodes?
0: Well, people, please go to MassAffection.com.
1: And if they wanted to get updates when we put out episodes...
0: You can follow us on Twitter at Mass underscore Affection.
1: And if you wanted to support the show...
0: Patreon.com slash MassAffection.
1: And you can, of course, subscribe and rate and review us in whatever podcast app directory you use. We would
0: love it if you did that. Please do that.
1: Truly. So with no further ado, let's talk about... The argument with the council, and Ilos, and the end game. Dun, dun, dun. Get excited. <laughs> After Vermeier, we did a few more side missions. But then we went to the council, and we met with the council, and we tell them what happens, and they say, well, cool, it's good to know. So we're going to defend the Citadel here. We're not going to chase S- Saren, and no, you can't go to Ilos we have the situation under control they aver
0: which is becoming very tiring their their responses and well it is yeah. reasonable sort of somewhat reasonable that they feel the way they do it is still beginning to be a tired plot point
1: right at some point their reasonable enough response stops being nearly as compelling to me. And this is that point because you presented them with something that's actually substantially more concrete evidence than, Hey, I, uh, I saw this vision thingy. (laughs) You actually had a conversation with the thing and Joker recorded it, pulling maneuvers that no ship out there can pull and so on. But no, no evidence is going to change their mind. And they just think it's a big guess. ship or something that Saren somehow mustered up, and they can defend against it. We'll see how that goes for them shortly. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they're using this, and Udina is using this to angle for power and influence. Udina basically tells you to skedaddle because he's got this under control. We'll let the big kids handle it now, is sort of his attitude. So Anderson calls you for a meeting.
0: Yes, at the at the bar. I don't remember which bar it was. It was Flux. Flux, thank it's you. It's a classy bar. Yep, Well, I mean, if you're going to do under-the-table dealings, might as well make them at Flux.
1: (laughs) As opposed to the scantily caught Asari bar.
0: Well, that might be a better setting, but he (laughs) is an officer. That's right.
1: There, he proposes multiple illegalities, stealing the currently locked down Normandy by way of hacking into Citadel Control or by punching Udina in the face.
0: It seems pretty clear that he <laughs> wants to punch Udina in the face.
1: And frankly, by this point, so does the player. I don't know if I've ever actually had Anderson take the course where he goes and hacks into Citadel Control because it's just so satisfying to have him punch Udina in the Although face. Although I really,
0: really am curious what happens there. You might need to look it up and watch the video. Yeah, we should. But it seemed a safer option to have him go up against Udina rather than <laughs> all of the c Right. So that's why we chose that.
1: Yes, and then you escape.
0: Yeah, the punch The punch was good, yep. The punch was um, good. <laughs> the whole sequence was really pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even if you don't play as a renegade character, it's still that kind of roguish... Stick
1: it to the man.
0: Sticking it to the man feeling that it gives you that it's fun and exciting.
1: Yeah. And I like the way they execute it. It was a little interesting. This is one of the first times, if not the first time, that I've had a playthrough where I didn't have a romance there. So Shepard's sitting on the Normandy just thinking. Normally you have your romance character come and comfort you there.
0: Comfort. That's what the kids are calling it these days.
1: Well, actually it is just comfort in this case.
0: Okay, my bad. The
1: uh, quote-unquote comfort comes before you actually make the jump to Ilos. Oh, right. But Joker calls in and interrupts your actual comforting and when we did it here we didn't have a would-be lover because we shot them down because we said nope to liara and we said heck nope to joker
0: <laughs> you mean kaden
1: or yeah to kaden joker. i would
0: have romanced joker <laughs> <laughs> just saying I he's pretty didn't, cool
1: didn't know you were into seth green
0: no <laughs> shepherd not me personally oh you
1: oh mean. oh you big what? Geth head. Geth head?
0: Geth head. Geth
1: head. Hmm. That's a new insult to me.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> after, you know, skipping along to do a bunch of side missions because you can't do them after this. And we'll talk about that sometime, maybe, maybe later in this episode, maybe in another episode, maybe in some meta episode about side missions in general or something. I don't know. Jamie doesn't care about the side missions, but I I want to talk
0: about them. I don't know why you want to talk about them. They're so boring. So
1: we're going to take 30 seconds and talk about them now. Okay. There, There are side missions. The only actually important side missions in Mass Effect 1 are the ones that you do with Garrus and Rex and Tali- and that's actually quite a bit. The Tully one is part of hunting down a bunch of the Geth on these random worlds out in, I think, the Armstrong Nebula. The Rex one, she's rolling her eyes no, at No, no, I just, I
0: couldn't remember. Theme of my life. Theme the, of this podcast. The Rex
1: one, you go recover his family armor, and the Garrus one, you help him hunt down and attempt to capture and then ultimately, unfortunately, have to kill this horrible biotic or biological engineering science. That was
0: by far the most interesting it and was. memorable of them.
1: Well, the Rex one just involves shooting a bunch of people and then opening a crate, which yeah. is what we do on all the worlds. And the Tully one just involves shooting a bunch of Geth, which is what we do on all the well, other worlds. yeah, that's
0: what is not interesting about any of the side missions. That Garrus side mission had a flavor that you get of the loyalty missions in Mass Effect 2. Yeah, I agree. Which made it really good. But the rest of them, ugh, it's just more... Shooting...
1: Driving around the Mako and shooting things. Yeah,
0: shooting things. Right.
1: It is interesting to me on that note that Garrus's quote-unquote loyalty mission doesn't change anything in terms of how Garrus behaves.
0: Yeah.
1: But Rex's does. We alluded to this in the last episode. It makes a really big difference in how easy it is to keep him alive, whether you've recovered his family armor Mm, or not. mm -hmm. But that mission is just to run and shoot things. It doesn't have any of the flavor that Garrus's mission does. Mm -hmm. Good point. Most of the other missions are shut down these mercenaries, etc. other than the Cerberus ones. And we're actually going to delay the Cerberus ones to talk about in the intro to Mass Effect 2. Yes. Because that's a really important connecting point, and it's weird. So we'll come back to that.
0: That was more than 30 seconds, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. I knew it was going to be when I said it, but I knew I'd get you on board if I said 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> Very <laughs> sneaky.
1: I'm a sneaky, sneaky husband. What can I say?
0: All right. So what happens after we punch Udina in the face?
1: We fly to Ilos
0: after all the side missions we just After talked all the side about. missions.
1: Which, of course, doesn't make any sense because we're on a timeline. But, hey, it's an RPG. That's how it works.
0: I like it not being timed, at least I'm not on that part.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there should have actually been a timer. And we'll talk about timers on events playing out in the game in Mass Effect 2. Because whether you remember it or not, there is one, actually. It's not a countdown timer that you see, but there's a timer. But... In this case, you can just fly around the galaxy and do however many side quests you want, and it doesn't make any difference. You still arrive on Ilos just as Saren is about to walk into Mm -hmm. the back area, and Joker has to pull a totally badass insertion to get the Mako there. And it was awesome.
0: Yeah, it was really cinematic and also satisfying.
1: Um, You can tell they put a lot of effort into this final sequence in the game. Yes. The music was great. The execution of that... Visually was
0: great. It, and it was payoff for things that was things that were established in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Joker's skills. Um, kind of like give some fan service to the Mako.
1: <laughs> at least make it good for something.
0: Make it good for something, yeah. yeah.
1: And there is a sort of holy crap moment on Saren's face as you're coming in. The Normandy's just shooting right at it and drops the Mako. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it couldn't be that simple he goes in and closes the doors behind him and you have to walk around and shoot a bunch
0: and, and props geth. to Saren. There was a slight slight holy crap moment on his face, but he very calmly and coldly signals to his geth to come inside and then closes the door and doesn't seem too freaked out by it. So it does make for a good bad guy moment, too. It's
1: true. Though, of course, one questions why his emotions are so muted at this point. We'll find out soon.
0: One so, does not question if one is indoctrinated. Exactly.
1: So then we go fight a bunch of geth, and some of them we fought a much harder way than we needed to because there's an off switch, but I forgot that there was an off switch. So oh, we for just the shot armatures. Them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But mm. it was so satisfying. We did watch Garrus get shot in the face repeatedly by armatures.
0: It's okay. He gets back up, <laughs> unlike us. <laughs> but, we, yeah, we took Garrus and Liara with us, and it was nice to have Liara around because mm-hmm. she makes Prothean a lot of commentary on the, on the Prothean um, ruins and such. Right.
1: It's just generally nice to have Liara with you, am I right?
0: There goes Chris's crush on blue <laughs> chicks again.
1: Not blue chicks in general. All the lots over of it. sorry. All the of it. There are lots of a sorry I don't care anything about.
0: Just nerdy, nerdy <laughs> blue chicks.
1: Wonder where I like the nerdy bit from. Hmm. Could be my nerdy wife. Just saying. Possibly. We wandered around and fought a bunch of Geth, and then we found our way to a. Prothean VI, which Shepard can understand because she's had all of the Prothean info downloaded into her brain like we talked about in previous episodes.
0: This moment, this approach to the Prothean VI was really nice because you're in this vaulted chamber and you've just gone through all these pods that you're not sure what they're supposed to be yet. You, you I think Liara mentions that they're probably stasis pods. Mm-hmm. But it was a great approach just going through that eerie tunnel Coming up on this kind of pedestal thing.
1: Well, first there was a giant energy field that wouldn't let you go any further. But I was actually talking about the VI that we encountered before that that was explaining about in chopped up garbled conversation that everything was lost. Everything is lost. Oh, that's right. And Shepard was the only one who could understand it.
0: Should we do that part over again?
1: No, it's okay. We'll just let it be a humorous moment where you forgot even a part we just played through not that long ago.
0: It was pretty long ago. A lot has happened since then. It
1: It was a... Couple weeks ago. We've been busy, people. After that, we unlocked the doors and we went in and we started chasing Saren. And as Jamie mentioned, then we get stopped by this ginormous energy field. And Liara says, I don't think this is Saren's doing. And you walk down a tunnel and things are flickery and slightly sad looking as you go down an old, slightly creaky elevator. And you walk up to a pedestal and you meet Vigil. Vigil was a fascinating character to talk to because number one, he info dumps and gives you a lot of answers about things Mm -hmm. and helps you understand basically how the rest of the game is going to play out, but also how you got here. But one of the things that struck me, and I think Seamus Young may comment on this in his uh, retrospective on the Mass Effect series as well, is that this is a very odd thing for an action video game to do, a shooter video game to do. You pause at your rising action where you're chasing down the big baddie and about to enter the climactic fight with him to do what ends up being about a 20-minute-long info dump.
0: But it is so good. It's such a good info dump. Probably the best in the whole game. Well, probably, not probably, undoubtedly the best in the whole game because it's fitting together all these big story pieces Mm -hmm. that you will want to know before you fight the the last battle. Mm
1: -hmm. It's not the sort of thing I think that would have worked very well after the last battle because you need to have a climax that concludes things. And you're not necessarily going to have everyone's interest after that.
0: And you want to know what you're up against when you're fighting it. Mm -hmm.
1: And it gives you that. It gives you all the background you could want on the Reapers, more even than you got from talking with Sovereign in the episode at Vermeyer. And it gives you an explanation of where the beacons came from. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an explanation of how there is still a little bit of hope and that it has to do with some of the things the Protheans did.
0: All we need is that little sliver of hope to make the game feel just epic and exciting and right. that this whole story is possible in the kind of sub way that you understand stories. Right,
1: and I think it works really well because it is fitting together all the pieces that they laid out pretty effectively the rest of the game.
0: Yep, the writers clearly knew what direction they were taking this.
1: Right, and they made it work. And so you get all this info dump about the Reapers. The Reapers he thinks, built the Citadel. At the the least, it's a trap. It's a huge mass relay. It goes to dark space. And the Reapers wait out in dark space, apparently to stay in stasis for the length of time it takes new civilizations to develop. And they keep the secrets hidden using the Keepers. And so everybody can just use it without actually understanding it. And if you try to understand it, the Keepers block you from understanding it. Jamie hilariously said at this point,
0: man, this would all really suck if you heard it for the first time.
1: Yeah, I remember that and being an, oh my goodness, wait, the Citadel? Ah! Because the Citadel is this giant mass relay that gets opened and lets the Reapers jump through, normally the way that the cycles go is all the leaders of whatever galactic civilization there are get killed immediately. And so after that, everything's in chaos. Now, the implication is that it took fully centuries, based on some of the things he says later, and he says immediately that it took decades to wipe out the Protheans. This is some comment on how quickly things go in Mass Effect 3, where things are basically almost over in what has to be less than a year. Oh, yeah. So the Protheans were quite the civilization. They fought effectively for a long time, especially given that they were essentially decapitated from the get-go.
0: Uh, this whole section leaves a huge question for me, though, and that is, why raise up a species that you're just planning to eradicate mm-hmm. anyway? Like, why not just let them stay in their primordial state, and not try to teach them? Or not primordial, but their kind of rudimentary state. And why teach them how to use technology, etc.?
1: Mass effects, especially.
0: Right, that doesn't make any sense.
1: So the argument Vigil offers is that it causes civilization to develop along predictable lines that they can control because everybody discovers the mass relays, uses the mass relays and mass effect and everything that goes with it instead of seeking out and possibly discovering entirely alternative technological pathways that might be much harder for the Reapers to deal with or Mm. to fight, etc. If you don't go with the mass relays and this easy way of decapitating them, they might headquarter their civilization on whatever podunk planet out in one arm of the galaxy, like Earth, that their civilization arose from, etc. so,
0: still seems crazy inefficient to me.
1: Well, the wait for 50,000 years instead of just systematically harvest organic life is the part that seems inefficient to me. Why wait for them to reach technological ascendance before you wipe them out?
0: That's exactly what I was saying.
1: Ah, I thought you were saying why give them specific channels to develop along rather than why – yeah. Then we agree. The specific channels to develop along gives you an easy way to defeat them if you let them get that far. But I agree. Why let them get that far? And sad to say – If they had good answers stored up for later in the trilogy, they didn't execute on them because the answers that come later don't fit with what we get here and frankly don't make a lot of sense to me in general.
0: And when asked about Reaper motivations, Vigil says that they are (laughs) quote unquote alien, unknowable. In the end, what does it matter? Which is so hand wavy.
1: Right. Though he has a point. It is a hand wave, but it's a hand wave that sort of works in game because it doesn't actually matter. You still have to try to stop them.
0: It's true, but for people who are thinking really hard about it, it definitely leaves some holes.
1: It does, but in some ways, I think I wish they had just stuck with, we don't know or understand their motivations, but we have to try to stop them.
0: A more Lovecraftian approach.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because the idea of something truly alien is scary in a very distinctive way, and I think that leaving it perpetually actually unknowable would have been dissatisfying in a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But especially if you'd had a way to defeat them, there would have been a sense of resolution in defeating them nonetheless. And maybe you never will understand why they were this horrid way. And you can then fill in the explanations yourself as well in whatever way makes sense to you, mm-hmm. which also can be more effective at times. If
0: you're invited to make a head cannon, it's a lot mm-hmm. less intrusive than when you have to make one because the plot ends up being <coughs>
1: Marauder Shields. <coughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Put that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I shall. It's great. At, after all of the Protheans' efforts, they recognized that there wasn't any hope of their own civilization surviving. So. They decided to try to help save the next civilization. They built a back door into the Citadel. Oh yeah, that mass relay on the Citadel. It's not just a statue, it's actually a mass relay.
0: Sweet. Thus Caden saying that he's his hands tingled That's right. or some such when he was standing around it. Yep. If you will recall that little bit of dialogue from this, Early On. The early Citadel. Probably the first Citadel approach.
1: Mm-hmm then he explains that those scientists crafted a way to basically rewire the keepers so that they would no longer respond to sovereign signal, which is pretty great.
0: Yeah, and there's no detailed explanation of that, but I'll buy it. I'll buy it. It didn't rip me out of the story.
1: No. Now, it's interesting. Shepard, Garrus, and Liara all can respond more or less grumpily when Vigil notes that he had to shut down a lot of the Prothean's pods to do this. Jamie's comment... When asked whether, well, when Shepard says, you betrayed them.
0: He's not a person. He doesn't have a conscience. Not saying I like it, but it makes sense.
1: Right. And as part of that is what he was programmed to do. He's not actually a he. It's not a consciousness. It's not something with agency or volition in the same way. It was carrying out pre-programmed orders. And those, unfortunately, in this kind of situation, make a lot of sense. You have the exigencies of war. Sometimes all you can do is save some, and that's a lot better than saving none of them and doing the next civilization to the same destruction.
0: Mm-hmm. The whole thing really paints the Protheans as being very noble mm-hmm. and um, selfless in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course they want to save themselves, but they they do realize that it's up to them to save the next civilization. So the right. fact that they're having that kind of foresight really um, makes me feel empathetic t- toward them.
1: Yeah, and... Especially when contrasted with, say, Javik yes, in the third game. who is game, completely who's like
0: non-empathetic, sympathetic. Nothing
1: noble about him in many ways. Right, That kind of dedication to life in general to say, this is going to affect something 50,000 years from now, but we still have a responsibility mm-hmm. to carry it out. It makes them very admirable seeming, however well or not it got executed on later. Gladly, we can go to the Citadel now. Fjord gives us a control file, which we can use to control the citadel, to close it and not let it work as a gate. And we can stop Sovereign. Apparently, the Reapers always leave one behind because you have to have some way to open the citadel. Seems like you could just pre-program it to go on a signal once civilization reaches some point. But
0: Right. That was another thing that I was like, um, is that strictly necessary? <laughs>
1: Uh, the Shepherd and company ask, why not just attack in reference to Sovereign just attacking the Citadel? And the answer is it's not invincible. It's strong, but it's not invincible. And it's The
0: ship you're saying, Sovereign. Sovereign,
1: yeah. And Vigil notes that Sovereign could have been working at this for centuries because the plot had been foiled. The implication here, coupled with things earlier in the game, is that many previous acts that you hear about are in fact the result of his handiwork. For example, the Rachni War.
0: How fascinating.
1: I I thought that was an interesting thing that they built in all along the way, Mm -hmm. that all of these different things in the background have had Sovereign sort of behind them trying to much more secretly and covertly without revealing himself get access, and he couldn't get it. Hilariously, two last bits from Vigil. The first one is that they put out the beacons. We wanted them to know about Ilos, to give them a message of hope.
0: Which, that totally wasn't the message of hope.
1: (laughs) Reapers are coming, you're all going to die.
0: Yeah, it was like a red, screaming terror.
1: But I noted it did show them Ilos, which led them to their eventual salvation. So there was that.
0: But the undertone was lacking.
1: (laughs) True that. Also, Vigil says, we never realized you could lead an agent of the machines like Saren to this world. Speaking of the beacons. How they didn't realize that, given their decades, if not centuries, of experience with indoctrination, I'm not sure dumb Protheans. <laughs> They're so smart, but they were kind of dumb.
0: Hey, everyone has their moments.
1: That's right. This is your only chance to talk to Vigil, but you have to stop Saren, so you think, well, Liara, no, we can't ask all the questions. Even though we just spent 20 then, minutes talking to it. Then we proceed to, to ask us. all the questions. Right. So then, the battle for the Citadel. Sovereign is huge. The Fleet is cool. I thought it was a pretty cool and pretty well executed thing. It felt epic in all the it right did.
0: ways. It did. Was, it was very beautiful, too, in a Terrifying sort of way. Yeah,
1: and it had a dynamism to it that I really enjoyed. You had a sense of the flow of the battle and what was happening where and the different kinds of ships, which if you Mm -hmm. read the Codex, you knew what they were doing and why and how, and it fit fairly well with that. It wasn't perfect, but it fit fairly well with that. It was neat to see that kind of attention to detail and the storytelling working together at that level.
0: There was definitely some pathos or the ships that were shot by Sovereign, um, just how diminutive they seem next mm-hmm. to him and how almost helpless they, they seem, but not so completely helpless that you're just thinking it's pathetic. Right. Because um, they did fight back some, and that was good.
1: And at this point, you see that the council has been evacuated from the Citadel, and you begin to wonder what's going to happen for them. And then, boom! You having... Well, gunned your way past and mostly not shot at at all. A bunch of Geth back on Ilos jump onto the Citadel through the relay. Woo. And you crash the Mako. Yes. <laughs> Jamie commented. <laughs> Bye, over. A, yeah, but Jamie commented about the Citadel as you look around and everything is on fire and sad.
0: This is. Oh, I forgot this happened to the Citadel.
1: <laughs> Jamie forgets all the things, and sometimes it's the best.
0: Well, it gives me that first-time player experience.
1: Y- yes, yes, it which does. Which is
0: kind of nice, in a way, for the, <laughs> for the sake of this podcast. Yes. But not nice for my general image.
1: It's okay. Yeah. It's not that important that you remember the fine details of video games. So you get to see Saren shooting at keepers, which is hilarious, after you fight your way up the outside of the Citadel, which is awesome.
0: Shooting at keepers?
1: Yeah, as I don't he's remember wa- that. <laughs> I'm shocked.
0: Oh, well, there you go.
1: Yeah, as he's walking oh, didn't up through. I did that. We actually talked about it.
0: Well, that was a long time ago.
1: <laughs> yes, as he's walking up through to the Citadel Tower, he's blasting every keeper he sees. He's clearly grumpy at them.
0: Is that like shooting pie jacks? Apparently. Like, maybe he's just mad in general and <laughs> he's trying to get some <laughs> of his negative energy out.
1: So he closes the arms and Sovereign comes in and there's creepy red lightning OMG. Yeah, I don't
0: know why there is, but there it is.
1: It's mood setting. Worked really well. So we fight our way outside because the elevator gets locked and you get to see Sovereign out there. And then you go meet Saren. Saren tells you that he let Sovereign upgrade him because Shepard had almost persuaded him in their discussion on Vermeier.
0: Which was sad.
1: Yeah. And that upgrade makes him look blue eyed and creepy even more. But he's still deluding himself. As we talked about on the conversation on Vermeier, he still thinks that at the end of the day, he can save people by allying himself with the Reapers. And that was a fascinating thing, that to the end, for all that he was corrupted and twisted by them, he was still trying to save people. He was a really bad Spectre, but he was a Spectre to the end in a sense.
0: At this point, I stopped thinking of him as just being prideful and trying to save his own butt and came around to your point of view to, to say, yes. yeah, he really is trying to do something for other people mm-hmm. um, for the good of, of the most that he can. Right.
1: He's too utilitarian. And when you let your means drive your ends, sorry, when you let the ends totally drive the means, you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. And so he did. And that when you get backstory on Saren earlier in this game and apparently reading the novels and so on, that was always his thing. He was a, pure, cold, utilitarian, and that's how you end up with this. I note that I've never actually fought Saren here because I persuaded him, whether via persuasion or charisma or whatever it's called, the good side or the bad side, charisma, persuasion, whatever, or intimidation, there we go, There. that he should fight back, and he does. And I liked that they set this up with Benezia fighting back earlier in the game so that you know that indoctrination can be resisted.
0: And... I felt very, very sympathetic for him after he said thank you Mm -hmm. when you tried to talk him back to the good side. Right. And then shot himself, which really made me feel awful. Right. Because this whole time I'd been thinking of him as this selfish jerk, and he really—
1: At the end, he fought.
0: He fought back, and it was so admirable, and it made me kind of retcon all of the opinions I had had before. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's good writing. It wasn't especially subtle. I wouldn't even say it was very nuanced in this part, to borrow your favorite word. Mm -hmm. But it was good. It was solid enough that it could make you do that, that it could make you reinterpret the characters throughout the rest of the game in a new light Mm -hmm. by doing that. And then, of course, you get to decide whether to let the council live or die.
0: Yeah, we chose to let the council live.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To let the council live.
0: Well, it was up to us. it. It was. So... We allowed them to live
1: because we're semi-neutral, paragonish shepherd, and we are neutralish in the sense that we're not just some goody-goody, but we basically think that interspecies cooperation is essential. And pragmatically, it would be really helpful to have the Asari and the Turians on your side if you're going to be fighting the Reapers. Um, yeah, there was awesome music at this part. I don't remember all the details of it, but that's one of my favorite cues in the whole game.
0: And then the quote, make sure he's dead, which I thought was very, very cold.
1: <laughs> Probably because you just had your sympathy ramped up through the roof for him.
0: Yeah, but come on, Shepard. Make sure he's dead. Can't you say anything in, in honor of him or, I don't know, take a moment of silence?
1: And then guess what else Jamie forgot?
0: That Saren comes back too.
1: As the most spastic hopper ever. Because, oh my goodness, he hops around so crazily for the next five minutes as you fight him. He's so annoying to fight because he also is semi-immune to biotics. So my normal hopper crowd control technique, which mm-hmm. is, hey, Leara, put a singularity right there. Oh, blast, blast, blast. Doesn't really do that much with him. You can throw him, but you can't singularity him.
0: He didn't seem to actually be that difficult, just spastic. Right. The and spasticness makes him is- hard
1: to hit, and he hits hard if he hits you. Yeah. But I've played it enough times that I know basically what tactics to use there. And then you kill him. And this has a very strange side effect. You blast this little hopper thing. And then apparently this just sends Sovereign into total shock because it ends up knocking his shields down. I have no idea why.
0: Well, I was interpreting it as uh, to resurrect Saren. It took some extra power via the link between Sovereign and Saren for him to come back to life. I'm not. I'm. I, This is all very head cannony. Head cannony. Head
1: cannon. Go boom! And, and
0: also very, um, almost surrealistic. Like there's not any <laughs> logic behind this. It's just what I put together in my yeah. head.
1: Yeah, I've had a similar I, head I'm cannon. not even
0: going to try to continue what I was saying.
1: No, but I understand. I have had a similar head cannon because you have to have something to make sense out of this. Because the shields are down, Joker can blow up Sovereign.
0: Yeah, great moments. Love the the fragments of Sovereign barreling toward the window, and then the view you get from the inside as Shepard shouts, get down!
1: It was pretty epic. And then the fragment hits the window, and Liara and Garrus think Shepard didn't make it, and they're all sad. But then the epic music swells, (laughs) and Shepard comes out limping a little bit, but oh man, that cheesy, cheesy grin. As she
0: stands atop the ruins of the Reaper and makes that smirk of victory.
1: (laughs) And then you go talk to the council one more time. And they believe you about the Reapers.
0: Finally, for... you can tell this has been way too long coming because when it does happen, <laughs> you just kind of slap your forehead.
1: Just wait for the next game. Oh. So then humanity, in light of its efforts and their gratitude for the fact that you just saved their butts, is offered a seat on the council and they ask for Shepard's recommendation. Udina clearly thinks it should be him.
0: And we say to Odina, I'm not picking you. <laughs> Well, that was what the, the option given was. Of course, you say something a little more politic than that.
1: Right. We'll say more on this in Mass Effect 2 and 3 because they did some interesting things in terms of respecting the decision you made here or not. Mm-hmm. But then Shepard says, well, fine. I'm going to find some way to stop them. And she just turns and walks away. And that's the last you hear from Shepard in the game. You get...
0: Yeah, that is kind of a weird closing line, isn't it?
1: And then you get Anderson's monologue afterward. It was a very strange <laughs> the ending up to the meeting with the council was really good. The meeting with the council was
0: It was it was I knew it was supposed to be denouement, but it was anticlimactic in a way that wasn't denouement-ish.
1: Right. It didn't feel like falling action. It felt like I guess we have to tie up a couple things and maybe <laughs> exactly. set some things up for the future, but uh, well, I guess we'll do it with a dialogue scene and then I guess we'll we'll have Anderson say something afterward.
0: And then there's this weird random hero shot. Hero shot.
1: Which, which I, I took a picture of, so we'll put it in the show. Yeah,
0: Shepard standing in front of the ruins of a ship. Oh no, no, a ship and then like the ruins of a planet or some such. Yeah. And you expect it to say something like Game Over. Congratulations, you won.
1: Or even Shepard will return in Mass Effect right. Two or something. But instead it's just that and then it fades out to the awesome fonts song.
0: Yes, we love that song.
1: If you haven't downloaded that album, you definitely should go buy it because the whole album from which that font song was taken for the end credits was great.
0: But that was basically it.
1: So what are your final thoughts on the very first Mass Effect game, Jamie Dawn?
0: It is one solid game, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy the whole of the game. It definitely has weak points, driving around the Mako on some of those worlds among them. But it's a really solid game as a whole.
0: It had some really good high points, mm-hmm. maybe not quite as high to me as the high points of Mass Effect Two, mm-hmm. but still very good. Um, not as memorable as Mass Effect Two to me. Clearly, I forgot a lot of it, <laughs> but there's not much I can say bad about the writing in this game. Yeah, it was very um, connected, very flowing. I appreciated all the work put into this game. And mm-hmm. Looking forward to playing it again sometime soon. (laughs) Not too soon, but, you know. Well,
1: I mean, you've already forgotten most of it, so, you know.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Chris.
1: I agree, though. I think the—I agree with you in that overall characterization. The highs aren't quite as high, I would say, as the highs in 2, or perhaps especially 3. And we'll talk about this as we get there, but I really do think the highs in Mass Effect 3 are the best in the series— in part because they pay off, and the highs in Mass Effect 3 are the parts that pay off things that were set up in 1 and carried on in 2. There aren't a lot of those, but they work really, really well where they landed them. Mm-hmm. But there also isn't, I agree with you, there isn't a lot of negative. This is just solid through and through for the most part. There are clunker lines here and there. There are characters that fall flat. You thought of a clunker line, I see.
0: Venezia's line. Oh, yes. Little little dove or whatever little it was. Little
1: bird. I always thought there would be a light. There's no light. Or whatever it is she says. You can go back to our Novaria episode and hear my better Benezia impression, <laughs> as well as, I think, Liara Jamie's best Liara impression. Yeah. I also really, really love the fact that there is a deep attention to detail in the world building and a sense that the world building is an important part of the plot. There's not m- we called out the few places where there's some good hand-waving going on, but even those don't really break my suspension of disbelief. You have to hand-wave some things in a science fiction plot. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I felt all the way through like there was a coherence to the plot and world-building mechanics all together, and that they were meant to fit together and they had somewhere they were going. It's possible that they didn't, but here they felt like it in a way that it doesn't, doesn't feel like they did in 2 and especially 3 mm-hmm. and maybe maybe even more especially 2 and 3 related to 1 and we'll talk about that a little more i think in our next episode as we look at the start of mass effect 2 but i like the detailed i like that this is the kind of game that stops for 20 minutes to give you an info dump from Vigil because that's just as important because this is the kind of game that's not just about shooting things but is, as I put it in my notes here, stopping the Reapers in many ways in this game is about knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. And if you think about all of the quests, they're quests for knowledge. It's quests for information about Ilos in some sense. It's quests to get the download of the Protheans sort of, metacognitive information or whatever into Shepard's Brain. All of it is about quest for knowledge. And there's a lot of shooting along the way. But ultimately, you need knowledge to stop the Reapers. And I feel like that is one of the things that drops away most in the later games.
0: And that preference for knowledge over just Just, random shooting makes the shooting that you do have to do feel not gratuitous. Right.
1: It makes it feel meaningful. It makes it feel like it's directed at something other than violence. It is violence, but it's violence that's directed at, yes, stopping these things, but not stopping them just by shooting them enough, stopping them by growing an understanding. And I think there's a way in which Mass Effect 3 wants to do that, but as we'll talk about when we get there, I don't, I don't think it really does because it doesn't do the hard work that this did of earning the payoffs at the end. Exactly. But yes, I really enjoy Mass Effect. Even though it's fully a decade old now, it's great to go back and play. So dear players, players? Dear listeners...
0: Listeners and players.
1: Yeah, they are player listeners, hopefully. You should, if you've not been back to Mass Effect in a while, go back and give it another spin sometime. It's a lot of fun.
0: Players gonna play.
1: Listeners gonna... Listen. listen. Hopefully no one's going to hate, 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 though. Thanks, Taylor. And on that lovely Swiftian note, we'll be back next time with an intro to Mass Effect 2.
0: Farewell. We look forward to it. That
1: was almost like Liara.
0: Farewell, Shepard. We look forward to it. Nice.
1: This is your only chance to vigil, but you have to stop soon. This Sarah. is
0: your only chance to vigil?